Look at verse 8 as we begin to catch this story. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. When they came to the fleshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah, Uzzah, rather, Uzzah, everybody say Uzzah, thank you, Uzzah, reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Somebody say, do not touch the ark. Come on, don't touch it. Look at verse 11. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of God that day and asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. Somebody say, don't touch it. Here's the story. You have David taking the ark of the covenant, which is in the Old Testament. The time when they worshiped in the temple. Put up that slide for us of the tabernacle in the wilderness. God commanded the people to build an outdoor tabernacle where they would worship God and where the priests would serve the Lord and perform their religious duties. One of the most important parts of this tabernacle is once you get into the courts, is right here, the fire is the altar of in, uh, rather the uh, burnt sacrifice altar. This is where the priest would sacrifice the animals. Then moving on right here, you see the brazen labor where the priest would wash themselves to prepare to go into that room right there, which was called the holy place. In the holy place was the menorah, the seven ca uh, candlesticks. If you've seen Jewish people have it, like on Hanukkah, seven candlesticks, an altar of incense that's, that always burned before God and a table filled with 12 loaves of bread. Then there was a veil that separated these two rooms from each other. Right where you see the fire over is what was called the Holy of Holies. Everybody say the Holy of Holies. Now in the Holy of Holies was what was this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Somebody say the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a treasure chest looking box that had the Ten Commandments in it, manna, and Aaron's bud, and Aaron's rod that budded. These were three evidences of God's miracle power. It looked like a treasure chest. On top of that treasure chest were two angels, and then there was a mercy seat. Somebody say the Ark of the Covenant. The job of the priest was to make a sacrifice, cleanse himself, then take the blood and go into the Holy of Holies and put it on the Ark of the Covenant. Now, this is a depiction of the tabernacle in the time of Moses. David comes many years after this, and now they're living in Israel, in Jerusalem. This was the temporary way they were to set it up until they could build a temple. The first one to build an actual brick temple for the Ark of the Covenant and all of these things was Solomon. David is the father of Solomon. David is a conquering king, settling the... Uh, making the borders of Israel safe, settling the people of God in Israel, and building the capital city, Jerusalem. When this story takes place, he is now gathering the items that were in this wilderness tabernacle. He's bringing them to Jerusalem so he can build a temple. Are you listening to me? Now he's bringing the most important part, the Ark of the Covenant. They put it on an oxen cart. So there's some ox carrying this Ark of the Covenant, and it gets a little bumpy, and all of a sudden it starts to slip off the road. And this guy named Uzzah reaches out his hand to put the Ark back on the cart so it doesn't fall off. And God strikes him dead. You see, what we need to understand is you don't touch the Ark. I'm going to read to you a passage why you don't touch the Ark. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 7. There were specific instructions that God gave Moses from the very beginning when the ark was made, how the ark was to be carried. And what these gentlemen were doing, and no matter how well their intentions were, 
they were breaking the Lord's command. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 7. When you're there, say, I'm there. Starting in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 7, you see God speaking about the ark. From there, oh, you got the, the wrong scripture. Unless I got the wrong one. Deuteronomy 10, verse 7 should be talking about the ark. Man, I got the wrong one. Forgive me, guys. How did I get Deuteronomy? Go with me to Exodus chapter 25. I apologize. Every now and then I make a mistake. Help me, Jesus. Exodus 25, verse 14. Exodus 25. When you're there, say I'm there. Let's go there. Come on. Here we go. Go up to verse 10. Start in verse 10. Have them make a chest of Ashii wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out. Make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two on the other. Then make poles of Ashii wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the chest to what? To what? So how do you move the ark? What do you do with it? You carry it. It says the poles are to remain in the rings of the ark. They are not to be removed. Then put in the ark the testimony which I gave you, which is the Ten Commandments. Somebody say you're supposed to carry the ark. So going back to the story of David, what's the problem here? The people of God, these are not sinners, these are not crack addicts. The people of God say, we have a better way. We have a better way that will help God out. God told us way back in these olden days, we needed to carry it, silly God. We have carts now. God probably understands that. So let's put it on a cart. And the moment they do, it begins to, uh, to jumble up and down and jassle. What happens when the man touches it? He dies. So did God change? No, He didn't. His old ways were still the new ways. Are you listening to me? You see, I want to talk to you today about in the church, about how pastors and leaders are touching the ark of God because they think God has changed. You see, this message is not only going to go to you, it's going to go through you. Because I want you to hear me today as I not only speak to you, but to a nation of many backslidden pastors and leaders who want to make church a more modern convenience for man and want to make it seeker sensitive and they want to change the holy things of God and they think they can get away with it. But what they don't remember, what they choose to forget is you don't touch the ark. You don't mess with the ark of God. Some of the things that you'll understand is that when judgment came on Uzzah, David got angry. If you go back to that passage, 1 Chronicles 13, turn there with me, you'll see that he got angry with God. Do you know that many pastors today are angry with God because of His holy ways. They're angry that God wants them to preach on sin. They're angry that God wants them to offend Mr. Big Bucks in the church. They're angry with God because they know it's going to cost them something. Oh, y'all didn't hear me. I only got one elder in the back saying amen. Help them, Lord. Look at it, verse 12. David was, uh, verse 11, David was angry. Because the Lord's wrath had broken out. Do you know what we see in the church today? We see people angry at God because of His wrath. Jehovah Witnesses came to my house the other day, and I was preaching to them and teaching them the truth. And you know what they said at the end? They said right at the end, listen, listen, listen. Let me give you an illustration. I said, okay, give it to me. They said, if your child acted bad, would you torture him? I said, no, I wouldn't torture them. They said, then why would a loving God torture His human beings, His creation, for all of eternity if you wouldn't even do it? And it was like, I'm, you know, it's like in his mind, I'm done. I made my point. And I said, hold on, young man. 
I said, hold on just a minute. I said, I know where you're going. That's real emotional. I wouldn't torture my son. How could God do it? I said, but here's the difference. I'm not an eternal holy God that deserves praise and glory and worship. I said, He is an eternal God. And if you rebel against Him, you will suffer eternal consequences. And I said, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, I persuade men and women to rebel. Repent. Don't buy into this. Oh, God's such a nice guy. He wouldn't do that. No, God is not a nice God. God is a holy God. He is a wrathful God. And He is a judge. And He will judge you. And if you think about it the wrong way, it will make you upset. Why does God punish people? Why would God send somebody to hell? Why would God kill Uzzah? He did nothing wrong. He saw the ark going over. He's doing his best. He had good motives. He had a good heart. You don't know my heart. He had a good heart. But God says, your ways are not my ways. Don't touch the ark. And there's people in church right now saying, we're not going to sing long worship songs and have long worship service anymore. Church isn't about how long the worship is now. Church is about making visitors feel comfortable. And they have good hearts. And they say, I really love people. But I'm only going to preach the soft things of the Word of God. And they're going to compromise so that the people will come. And the church will get bigger and bigger and bigger and more money. And they say, look how successful I am. They're touching the ark of God. I hate it with a passion when people say, look how effective we are preaching the gospel with love and candy and bicycles and ponies. And look how ineffective Metro praise is because you preach judgment, the truth. Listen to me, my friends. Jesus did not say that card is so effective, guys. I know it takes more strength with four men, but that card is... No, He said, I told you to carry it. And He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. This is not the bingo parlor. And this is not the all-you-can-eat buffet. This is a church and it's a house of prayer. We're not going to touch the ark. I'm tired of people telling me, oh, you're not effective. You can be more effective. Jesus says, you trying to be more effective will cost you your life. I don't care if people think we're backwards. Well, don't you know that people don't want a long service? I don't care what people want. I came for Jesus. Well, don't you know it's not effective to preach the gospel the way you do? Isn't it better to preach it with skits and dramas and tell jokes? I don't care if it's more effective to get a sinner to love his sin. I want sinners to repent of their sins. You see, it's time that we begin to stand up as Metro Praise and not say, well, you know what, we're just doing it old-fashioned. You know, we're just trying our best. No, we need to be proud of this. We're doing it God's way. Well, some people say, well, you don't dress like the old-timers. Listen to me. We follow the Bible. Show me where the Bible says I have to put on a three-piece suit. Hello? I came here to do spiritual aerobics, amen. I ain't got room for a suit to be jumping around, praising God, laying on the floor, amen. I got to cast out devils. It's a dirty job sometimes, amen. Praise the Lord. I'm tired of wearing a suit just to make you think I'm Lee Iacocca, Donald Trump, or uh, Oprah Winfrey. I haven't come to impress you. I've come to preach the gospel to you. And you might say, Pastor, sometimes you make me afraid. It better scare the hell out of you because I want you to get to heaven. Don't touch the ark, somebody. The church today in America is saying, I'm okay with touching the ark. I'm not okay with it. You might say, Pastor, I haven't seen nobody get struck down yet, but you will. You see, right now the Bible says that there's deception upon the earth. And the way pastors are acting is if we have better technology, if we have better choirs, we'll reach people better. That is not true. There is only one thing that will reach a person's hard heart, and that is the hammer of the Word of God, smashing it into pieces, and then the love of God restoring them and making them new. 
There is no other method. It doesn't change. It's not that we say, well, we're going to preach differently now. No. Are people still sinners? Yes. We'll preach the message that Jesus preached to sinners. People say people have changed. No, technology may change. All of these things may change in our jobs and our houses with technology and how we live. But my friends, the human heart remains the same. If somebody lost a child 2,000 years ago, it hurt. And if somebody loses a child today, it hurts. And they need the balm of Gilead, the Holy Spirit, to heal them. Period. Not your counseling. Not a book. Not a purpose-driven life. They need the Sheikaboomba. How Holy Ghost. Amen. And if somebody's rebellious today, it's just like being rebellious 2,000 years ago. They don't need to be pat on the head, being given a lollipop. They need to be told that hell is hot and heaven's not and make a decision who you and your house will serve. And we can do it in love. We can do it smiling, but I'm not Jimmy the Cricket with the top hat and the cane to tap dance for you. I'm here to preach the God to you, preach the word of God to you. You see, David got at a point when he saw the judgment, he got angry. And I want to tell you something, my friends. If you do that, you will stop the blessings in your life. If you stop enjoying the rebukes of God, if you stop loving the discipline of God, if you stop loving preaching like this, the ark of God will stop right there. You see, David didn't mess up and touch it, but what he did is he got offended and he said, I'm going to leave the ark right here. He didn't carry it all the way to Jerusalem. The Bible says he left it at Obed-Edom's house. Look at it. Verse 14. The ark of God remained in the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. See, for three months, David went and had a pity patty party. And the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. So here they are on the way to Jerusalem with this thing. This man dies. They lay at Obed-Edom's house. All of a sudden, Obed starts looking at his children. Y'all getting A's now. Glory to God. What's going on? He starts looking at his cattle. Your cattle, man, this cattle's getting fat for slaughter. He starts looking at his wife. Man, you looking prettier, baby. He starts looking around saying, I'm blessed. How did I get blessed? And then the Lord says, because the ark is with you. And wherever the ark is, is the blessing of the Lord, my friends. You see, David said, I'll move without the ark. I'll leave it right here at Obed-Edom's house. Listen to me. I love Obed-Edom, but I ain't leaving the ark. Are you listening to me? I'll take the ark with me if nobody else goes. You see, the church has left the ark of God, and they've moved forward without it. Oh, sure, they've got good choirs. Sure, they've got good preaching. Sure, they write cute books and get on Larry King and say cute things. But I'm telling you something, they don't have the ark of God. They don't see demons cast out. They don't see sick people healed. They don't see transformation of lives. Are you listening to me? You see, the only the ark of God can do that. Look at me to First Chronicles 15 now. Go over one chapter further. Three months at Obed-Edom's house. He's blessed. Somebody say, blessed. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Now look at verse 2. Then David said, No one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before Him forever. How many know somebody looked at David and said, Hey, Dave. Why didn't you tell us that last time we moved this thing? Hello? You see, I want to tell you something. If you don't know God's Word, if the church doesn't know His Word, it will cost them something. And right now in America, the church of God has become lukewarm. The church of God has lost its voice. The church of God is now second fiddle to the Muslims, second fiddle to the atheist agenda, second fiddle to the entertainment of this world. And we better not offend them because we want them so badly to come to our churches. Listen to me. I would rather have the ark of God and nobody else with me than to have everybody with me and not the ark of God. And I'm telling you, I've been where David was. I know what it's like. To preach a message and to see people you love leave the church. And sometimes you just get offended and you just say, I don't want to move anymore. I remember the, the person who gave us that van that we drive around now. 
began to deal with alcoholism and began to struggle with it. And we began to rebuke him and say, you can't live for God and be an alcoholic. And we did it over weeks and months, people. We didn't just cut him off, but we said, listen, you have to repent. You've got to live right. And he kept refusing the counsel, refusing the counsel. So finally I had to say, listen, if you don't want to live right, you can't come. Because you're going to touch the ark and bring judgment on this house. And by me doing that, God removed him from our church. And his heart is hard now. And I know what it was like because he was the biggest tither of our church. Hello, gave us a van. And I know what it was like to have a little bit of a pity patty party for myself. And to say, you know what? I'm not even going to try this. Maybe I'll do it another way. And the leaders here can tell you, we've always come back when we've lost people. And we've tried to say, is there another way? Can, can we do it this way? And every time we look at it, we know it's compromise that we're dealing with. And we say, no matter how we feel, no matter how hard it is, we're not going to leave the ark of God. And if you ask me, Pastor, have you made those decisions many times in ministry? Yes. I would rather lose an Uzzah than lose the ark. Because you might say to me right now, you might say, Pastor, well, these people in your church, they're trying to do, but I don't care what they try. They either do it or they don't. i got to move with the ark. Well, they have a good heart, Pastor. People trying to make better the church. So what if they're living together and they're not married? Give them another chance. Now, i got to move on without them because we're going to carry the ark. You might say, Pastor, that gets me a little upset. Well, David got upset, my friends. But he wasn't blessed. You can get angry with God if you want. You can be like those Jehovah Witnesses and you can build up just this big argument against God. How could a loving God ever do such a thing? It's so unfair that He struck down Uzzah. It's so unfair that my child gets rebuked. It's so unfair that so-and-so left the church. Oh, you can have your little pity patty party, friends, while the ark is at Obed-Edom's house. Or you can do what David did. Go back to the Scriptures and say, let's do it again. And this time, we're going to do it right. Levites, come on, boys. Pick up that ark and let's get back to doing what we were called to do. And one of the things I forgot to mention is that when Uzzah went to do it, they were dancing. The Bible says they were dancing before God. They were loving God. And that might have got them a little bit out of control. They might have been dancing, holding that cart, and all of a sudden it starts to tip. You see, you can be singing and still be cursed and mess up. Hello? You can be worshiping and still be messed up. But I love how David says, let's go get it back. Somebody say, get it back. Now look at chapter 16. They brought the ark of God and set it inside. The, or go verse 15, rather. 15, verse 27. Go up to verse 25, rather. Come on. So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of the units of thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of, of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. Because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Come on. He helped them. Verse 27. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the ark, as were the singers and who were in charge of singing the choirs. David also wore a linen ephod. So all of Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sounding of rams, horns, and trumpets, and cymbals, and the playing of lyres and harps. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord entered the city of David. Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. You see, there's people who get angry with us because we jump and dance and shout and holler in the presence of God. I want to tell you something. Not everybody loves what we do in this church. And they will persecute us. They will tell us that they don't like how we have church, that we get too out of hand, that it doesn't take all of that. But you know what happened to old Michael? Michael got cursed. And keep reading. Then they brought the ark of God, pitched the tent, offered the offerings to God, and David blessed the whole people with all of these different things. Then verse 4, he appoints all of these people to serve. Continue on. Look at verse 39. It says, David left Zadok the priest and his fellow uh, people in charge. And then verse 41, 
They went down, gave thanks with cymbals, trumpets, and playing of other offerings. And verse 43, they blessed the people. Let me tell you something here. Michael got cursed, but the people got blessed. The bottom line is, we're not doing this for those who don't want it. I'm going to say it again. Everybody look up at me. We are not doing this for the people who don't want it. The Bible says that as David came jumping and dancing, his wife, Michael, looked through the window. She got upset. You read later, she got cursed and didn't bear any more children. But all the other people of Israel are dancing with him. He's blessing them. David is giving them raisin bread and all of these other things. And they walked away saying God was in this place. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to lose God's blessing for those who don't want it? Do you want to sit up here and stop loving God because somebody else doesn't want it? What if somebody sitting next to you watches you dance and lose, lose your mind for Jesus all over this place? And then they're going to mock you. Are you going to stop dancing for Jesus? What if somebody in your high school young people sees you living for God and they start making fun of you? Are you going to stop living for Jesus? Come on, husbands and wives. What if your husband or wife or your children don't want to do it? Are you going to stop? You see, as for me in this church, we will serve the Lord. Amen? I want to tell you right now that God is going to raise up a church that will have the ark of God and bless the people. God is raising up a church, and it's not only here at Metro Praise, it's around the world. God is raising up people who want the ark of God, who are not going to compromise the word. We're not going to reach youth through video games and technology and Facebook. We're going to reach the youth through the power of the Holy Spirit, casting out devils, healing the sick, and preaching the gospel on high school campuses. We're not going to reach your business partner, your friend, by giving him a free business meeting, how to budget your money in the time of recession. We're going to reach your coworkers by getting you filled with the Holy Ghost so that when you preach to them, they hear conviction and weep in the office and you get them saved in the break room. Baptize them with the water. Hallelujah. Just pour it on them. Be baptized. We're not sitting here trying to manipulate people. Go back to why they got that cart. Because it was more effective. It would save people energy. Carrying the ark of God will cost you something. When the Levites picked up that ark, they felt like they were holding something. When you get on your knees in this church, you will feel the Lord give you the ark of a burden for a nation. And it will cost you something to see missionaries sent out of this place. When you begin to pray for your children, you'll feel God place it in your hands a burden that if you faint not in well-doing, you'll reap a harvest. If you get on your knees and say, I'll work for the Lord, you're going to feel a burden when you go out witnessing, when you go out preaching, because the ark of God costs something. You don't just say my hands are off. Take it, fellas, on the oxen cart. No, when you want to do work for the Lord, it's on hands. And it's everybody's hands on deck. Amen? This is not the love boat. Well, Jesus loves you, Jesus. We know Jesus loves us, but there's a battle. This is a battleship. Soldier, stop talking to yourself. Grab a weapon and start taking down enemy ships. In Jesus' name, this is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship, and it's on its way to glory. We got the victory in Jesus' name. We're more than conquerors. Pick up your sword. Pick up your shield and fight for the ark of God. This is not something where we just say, oh, blah, say blah, salah, salah, everything happened as it's always happened. No, we are going to bust down the gates of hell and plunder hell and populate heaven. I didn't come to the devil to ask him, Mother, may I cross? Mother, may I come? He's not my mama. He's not my daddy. He is a serpent underneath my feet. And he is crushed in Jesus' name. I'll take that in Jesus' name. I'll take back high schools in Jesus' name. I'll take back young people in Jesus' name. Pakistan, Afghanistan, these don't belong to the devil. We take them back in Jesus' name. We'll take back the nation's and bring the ark of God because it costs something that we're willing to pay. I'm willing to pay a price to see God's ark come to this nation. I'll be the Levite. The Bible says you are God's holy priesthood. It's your turn. Look at your neighbor and say, it's your turn. 
You see, if we are anointed and appointed, we can carry the ark of God. But don't you dare try to touch it with your flesh. Don't you dare try to do it your way. Do it God's way in prayer and in fasting and reading of your word and a preaching of the gospel. If you believe it, say amen. Look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. Somebody might say that's just the Old Testament. Let me get you excited before I bring you out here to your weekend vacation. I want you to do some labor for Jesus. Amen. Labor day is for Jesus. Glory to God. Cast out some demons. Heal the sick. All while you're barbecuing. Praise God. Catch some fish while you're catching some fish. Hallelujah. Win a lost soul to the Lord. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. That was the Old Testament, Pastor. Jesus was so much different. Oh, he was? Oh, let's let's go to see Barney Jesus. Let's see how he was. Elmo Jesus, that's how he was? Let's look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. If you're there, somebody say, I'm there. Jesus entered the temple area and shook hands with those buying and selling. And he sold them his book, Seven Steps to a Better Life. Is that what the Bible says? He entered the temple area, drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Why? Why was he doing that? Because that's where God's presence was. You see, they finally did build that temple. And then it got torn down and rebuilt with Herod. And so here in Herod's temple, even without the ark, there's still the presence of God there. God was merciful. But these people, these religious people, took the things of God and made it for their own personal gain. And that's why people do what they do now in the church for their own personal gain. Why? Because we don't want to offend Mr. Big Bucks. Then we don't have the money. Then we don't have the money. Then we don't have the building. And you see, it's all about the money, people. That's why the Bible says the love of money is the root to all sorts of evil. But what did Jesus do? He kicked him out. And in verse 13, he said, it is written. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And in the King James, it says it's supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations. You see, God wants his ark, his presence with the people of God. He doesn't want us here to become charlatans and to become all about the money. God wants there to be power in the house because power comes through prayer. Amen. I said power comes through prayer. You see, God is looking for people that will say to hell with man's tradition. Look at Mark chapter seven, verse eight. You see, the cart was used in the Old Testament times to carry around other deities. Other religions would use a cart to carry their idols. And you see, man's tradition comes from pagan origins. You see, when we begin to say, we're not going to preach the word anymore. We're just going to have skits. Where do plays come from, man? Where do entertainment things come from? That comes from pagan origins. There's nothing wrong with using a skit for God's glory. But the Bible doesn't say, when you go out and preach, have some white boy put on a beard and long hair, white robe, be Jesus, and go, when he gets whipped. And then have somebody else put on a black robe and be the devil. And then put on some cute music. No, he says, when you go preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, people want entertainment, Pastor. Things have changed. No, a sinner is a sinner is a sinner, and he needs to repent. Come on, somebody. No, the the sinners now are different. Sinners are different. No, they're not different. They had orgies back then. They have orgies now. People cheated on their wives then. They cheat on their wives now. People got drunk then. They get drunk now. And there's only one thing that will bring them to repentance. Preaching like this. In Jesus' name. Mark chapter 7, if you're there, say, I'm there. Look at verse 8. Look at his problem with the Jews. He says, you have to let go. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Let go of what God said. You go to some churches you don't even hear speaking in tongues. Oh, we don't want to offend people. Just keep it real low. No, Shikabuma, I want more Jesus. Speak in tongues, praying in the Spirit, building up your most holy faith. People are saying, no, 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 we don't want to offend anybody. Just, just keep that secret. 
I told you the story that it always breaks my heart of a pastor who was an older man, had raised up a great church, and at the end of his life he handed it to a young man. And at the end of every service, this old praying grandma would come to her knees. She would grab a hold of the altar and say, God, have mercy on sinners, save souls. She would do it at the end of every service. And one day this young man came up to that old woman and he said, old woman, sister, there'll be none of that here anymore. We want to make people feel comfortable in church. You can have the prayer meeting in the cafeteria on another day if you want. Listen to me. That's what we've done to the Holy Ghost. We say we welcome everybody, but we've kicked out the Holy Ghost. We need to get to the point where we say, I'd rather have God than the traditions of men. I'm tired of trying to live to impress men. Because you'll never make man totally happy. You'll always be under his thumb. Well, pastor, your services are too long. They're too short. The singing was too loud. The singing wasn't loud enough. It's not hot enough. It's not cold enough in here. Pastor this, pastor that. Listen to me. I'm all here. I'm here just for one person. That's Jesus Christ. And if I serve him right, I'll serve you. Amen. You see, the traditions of men will come and choke out God. What happened to the Roman Catholic Church? Oh, yes, they had good hearts. They didn't say we're the whore of Babylon wanting to be the Antichrist. They said we want to serve God. We want to serve God. And so they put a little incense here. They put a little robe here. They put a little St. Peter here. They put a little holy water here. They teach a little purgatory here. They put a little offering, an indulgence here. And before you know it, you look at it and it's the whore of Babylon. Why? Because they let the traditions of men take away the commands of God. Anybody with their right mind can read the Bible. You don't pray to anybody but Jesus. Anybody with their right mind would know that. Anybody with their right mind would know if you read the Bible, there's only two places, heaven or hell. There is no place called purgatory where you get another chance. My friends, don't let traditions take what Metro Praise is doing another direction. And every service and everything that we do, let it always be for God. Let it always be for God. Let the worship leaders lead for God. And congregation, let them lead how they see fit. When those are asked to come up and pray and lead our services, let them pray as they see fit. If it's time to repent, we get on our knees. If it's time to feel the joy of the Lord, then let's feel the joy of the Lord. But let our leaders have the ability to lead. Don't come to this church and say, oh, that, that, that's not tradition. Pastor Joe normally does this, then we do this. No, to hell with all of that. All we want is Jesus, my friend. It, it, it just boggles my mind when people want to tell me about tradition in my own church. I'm like, listen to me. If I didn't make it a tradition, how are you making it a tradition? You see, it's not a tradition. It's the glory of God. God's spirit moves like this. Everybody say, go with the flow. Come on, do this. Say, go with the flow. You may come here one week, we'll be laid out on our faces for three hours weeping for our nation. You may come here another week, we may be holy rolling, laughing and giggling all over this place. You may come here another week, we may have somebody demon possessed out here, casting out a legion of demons. Let God move in our services. Somebody say amen. Would you stand up on your feet with me today? Somebody say don't touch the ark. Come on. Ben, would you come, please? Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 in closing. Open your Bibles there if you can while you're standing. I'm giving you a moment to stretch out. Now you understand why I said this message is going to go through you too. Amen? Because I'm going to tell people when they come to me with this nonsense, listen to this message. Well, Pastor, you're not effective. How effective is what you're doing? Come on, it's God's way. It's God's way. Did Uzzah ever get a second chance? No. If you are here today and you're not saved, you should thank God you get a second chance. Because there were some people in the Old Testament that one time was all they got. And if you're here today and you're angry at God because of His judgment in your life, why did God take away that boyfriend? He did for your own good. Well, why did God allow that to happen? For your own good. If you ever turn your finger back to God and say to yourself, my friend, you're in some trouble. The blessing's going to stop right there. You'll go on in life, but the blessing will stop right there. Proverbs 29, 25 gives us the heart of this church. The fear of man brings a snare. Come on. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. 
Why did David do what he did? Because he was afraid to get people's hands dirty. He took somebody else's advice to carry an ark that he should have known in the Word. The Bible says that David in Psalms 119 recited all the laws of the Lord upon his bed. So either he had forgot or he chose to forgot. But the redemptive part about David is that David made a decision. This time we're going to do it right. The first church I planted, I didn't do it all right. I used to get on the phone before Sunday service and I would call everybody. And I would say, you coming to church? You coming to church? You coming to church? I would beg them. And then I started to give bribes. You know, this cafe is meant to give us a time of fellowship. It's not meant to be your lunch or your dinner. And so in New Orleans, you know, when I saw that people wouldn't come, I said, why don't I feed them a meal? So I said, at the end of every service, we'll have a meal. And then I saw that they got used to that, so I said, well, I'll start giving away groceries. And then I saw that the teenagers wouldn't come, so I said, well, I'm going to start getting video games. In that church, God told me to shut it down and give it to another man. And I never understood why. God, my heart was so right. I thought I would live in New Orleans the rest of my life. God, why? You know why? Because I was messing with the ark. God wanted me to have a church that was pure. And when we started this church, it was almost like I forgot those lessons. And I wanted the church to grow faster. So I said, man, let's get out the video games. Let's, let's get out the free food. Let's do everything we can to bribe people. And then in one of our services, a youth service, demons manifested in a young person. And I thought that when the young people saw the demons get cast out, I thought that they would come back next week so excited for God and all their friends would be with them. But when the ark came, they actually got scared and that next week nobody came. We went from 80 students to about 15 kids. Not one thing changed. We didn't even talk to them. And God began to show me they're not ready to see God me move. He said they're not ready. It scared them. The girl was, ah, we're casting the devil. Satan, listen to me. I mean, all right here. And the kids never came back. And then that you service, I was leading worship. And we got done with the service. And I just started singing a song to God. And I felt the Lord give me a prophetic word. He said, Make room for me. He said, when I was born, there was no room in the inn. There was no room in the hotels. He says, I'm still looking for a place to dwell. Will you make room for me? He said, I came to a manger in a hay barn because there was room for me. He said, I'll come here if you make room for me. And we began to then see people leave. And we began to see a lot of our adults leave because I would come to the service and instead of thinking to myself, how are you going to react? I just said, I'm coming for more of God. And all of a sudden I'm on my face for an hour, hour and a half. And I get up and it's like two in the afternoon. And I said, okay, now let's preach. And people began to leave. But at that same time, this was about a year ago, God began to bring in new people. And we're just about where our numbers were then that we are now. But you want to know the difference? We had a hundred people back then. But I only had about 15 in discipleship. Last elders meeting, we have a hundred in population now. 68 are in discipleship. 17 are in Bible college. I said 17 are in Bible college. A year ago, we had no teenagers in the 201 discipleship. Now we have seven. Last year, we only had six people in Bible college. Now we have 17. Last year, we were only supporting another missionary in Mozambique. This year, we have four nations with almost 60 Metro Praise churches. 60 churches around the world. Does the ark bring the blessing? 
Yes, it does. Last scripture, John 6, verse 60. I want you to see it in closing. John 6, verse 60. I don't have time to read the whole story. Read chapter 6 if you have time. Because right now I can hear some people saying, Well, Pastor, come on. Jesus wasn't always yelling at people, was he? No, you're right. He loved people. He was kind. And you might say, Well, Pastor, didn't Jesus also feed people? Yeah, he did. After he preached to them for three days and starved them. Amen. So I will feed you dinner after you stay three days and hear the preaching. Praise God. Nothing wrong with those things done the right way. Don't get me wrong. John chapter 6, verse 60, though, we have a problem. You know what the problem is? Jesus just fed the 5,000. And they woke up the next day and they go, Mmm, yummy to my tum-tum-tummy. Boy, this just this Jesus thing is pretty cool. We, we, we come here and preach. He feeds our belly. Man, who needs wick? Who needs jewel? Let's just go to Jesus. And they show up. In John chapter 6, verse 25. I'm going to hop you through it. John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus, when did you get over here? We've been waiting for you. Verse 26, I tell you the truth. You are not looking for me, or you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. That's why you're coming. Little side note, when was the last time pastors looked at their congregation and really told them why they're there? Oh, you're not here because we're talking about Jesus. You're here because we make you feel better for an hour. You scratch the religious itch. I feel better. And you go out and keep doing what you were doing. When was the last time a priest looked over that Catholic church and said, Hey, you're not here for God. You're just here to take a little bite of this, a little bite of that, and go back home and be who you want to be. When was the last time these mega churches said, Hey, you're not here for God. You're here for the entertainment. Jesus said, you're not here for the right reasons. You have to do the work of God. And then they ask in verse 28, what's the work that God requires? Verse 29, the work is this. Believe on the one who sent him. Believe on the one he has sent. They say, okay, we're good with that. Then in verse 32, I tell you the truth. It's not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he's saying, hey you got to get the bread of heaven. They say, sir, now give us the bread. Now look at verse 35. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. He says, it's not the cart. It's me. He says, you want everything your way. You want to do it your way. But what it's really about is me. He said, if you come to me, you'll never thirst again. Verse 41, at this time, the Jews began to grumble because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? He sees them grumbling. He continues to teach them, you better get me. You better make this about me. You better make church about me, pastors. It's not about basketball tournaments. Even as good as feeding the poor is, it's not about orphanages. It's about God first. We're going to take care of the poor. We're going to take care of the orphans. But this is not the Red Cross. This is the church. Verse 60. On hearing it, many of His disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Hold on now. These aren't the Jews anymore. These aren't rebellious people. These aren't Samaritans. These aren't the pagan Romans. It says, His disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Verse 61. Aware that His disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus says, Does this offend you? Everybody look up at me. True gospel preaching like Jesus will offend you. It offends me. 
because we're not perfect. And when holy men of God speak it, it will always pick out something in your life. When I email you the message that I heard that inspired this message, you'll see that it put out things in my life. Don't be afraid of that. It says, what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where He was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet some of you do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which one of them did not believe and who would betray Him. He went on to say, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled Him. One of the saddest parts of the Bible, everybody look up at it, highlight it, verse 66. One of the saddest parts of the Bible you'll ever read. From this time, many of His disciples turned back and no longer followed Him. Why? Because it wasn't going to be their way. It wasn't going to entertain their flesh. It wasn't going to be the country kitchen buffet. It wasn't going to give them a new house and new friends and a brand new bicycle and a pony and a cupcake. It wasn't going to give them all these things. Now, Christianity was going to cost them something. To pick up that ark and follow God, they were going to have to leave the world behind. And some of them said, I can't go with Jesus because there's still things back here that I want. Jesus, I still want my friends. Jesus, I still want my career. Jesus, I still want my reputation. I want my life. I'm leaving Jesus. Turn their back on Him. You would think if Jesus was a great leader and He had read Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, You think at this point he would have got the clue. He's losing thousands of people. Stop, Jesus. Stop. But he's not done. At this time they turned around. Verse 67. You don't want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Jesus then looks right at His disciples, puts them right on the hot seat. And come on, you know what this is like. Imagine me calling you out in the middle of a stadium. Hey, Danny, what are you going to do? He points them out in front of everybody, in front of all the public who's leaving. And you can see the disciples. They're seeing their friends and family go this way. They're seeing a large crowd go this way. And Jesus is standing by Himself. And He calls them out. Are you leaving too? What are you going to do? I love Peter because Peter says what I believe the other disciples were thinking. He's so bold and so passionate. May we have the heart of Peter, Jesus. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. You know what Peter said? Peter said, I can't live without the ark of God. I can't leave it here. Jesus, you got the Holy Ghost. And where you go, I'm going with you. I'll follow you even if nobody else comes. Because I want to be where you are Jesus I want to be where you are I need the ark of God in my life Father we come to you in the name of Jesus and we ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us us today as the temple of God let us be filled with the Holy Ghost and Lord whatever we've been doing of the flesh we stop it now God we repent of it now let Metro praise repent of anything of the flesh so that your presence may rest in this place because we have nowhere else to come.